The year was 1968. Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy were assassinated. Richard Nixon won the White House. Apollo 8 orbited the moon. And the Vietnam War continued on. But there is a significant event that happened on American soil on December 9th, 1968, that you've never heard of. When you hear the sheer magnitude of this story, you'll wonder why you're hearing it for the first time some 50 years after the incident. It's the story of a family that faced an unimaginable situation, endured incredible loss, and a community that came together to fight for justice. This is Falling Low. My name is Jennifer Hansen DePaula, and my mom, Sigrid Chernogel Hansen, was 15 years old when the tragedy took place outside the small town of Story City, Iowa, which is about 45 minutes north of Des Moines. And up until the fateful evening of December 9th, 1968, my mother, her family, and generations going back to the 1860s worked and lived on this century-old farm. In the summer of 2018, we decided we wanted to create a podcast to share the story. So we sat down and recorded conversations with the surviving members of my family about what happened on the evening of December 9th, 1968. My grandmother, Marie Chernogel, who passed away in 2002, wrote her account for the 25th anniversary of the event in 1993. Here's Marie's memories of the event, read by my double cousin, Rebecca Hansen. Mom, may I make supper this evening? I want to try the recipe Mrs. Peterson gave us yesterday at church, asked Sigrid, my 15-year-old daughter, on Monday evening, December 9, 1968. That will be fine, I answered. While you make supper, I'll take a bath so I'm ready to go to the baby shower for Stromley's with Henrietta at 7 o'clock. Supper was in the oven. I had just come out of the bathroom, curlers in my hair. Our son Martin was in the barn finishing his chores. Mike, our older son, had been drafted into the Army, so he had not returned to college. His number was deferred from September to November and then to February. He was getting Pete, my husband, a rheumatoid arthritis victim, out of the bed where he listened to the evening news before coming to the supper table. Ingeborg, our youngest daughter, had fed the dog Buster and tied him for the night. Herman, Pete's older brother, who lived with us, was also listening to Walter Cronkite on the evening news. And so began the evening of December 9, 1968, which would forever change our lives. My mother, Sigrid, who was 15 at the time, was in the kitchen. I was cooking that night because Mom had an event that she was going to go to, and she was in the bathroom, which was right off the kitchen, taking her bath, getting ready, hair and rollers. Mike was getting Dad up in the wheelchair, getting ready for supper. And Martin was out in the barn. Uncle Herman, who was Dad's brother that lived with us, he was on the couch watching the news. My Aunt Ingeborg, who was 12, had just fed and tied up the family dog Buster outside for the evening. It was really, really clear and cold outside. And I'd been outside to tie up Buster because our black lab had been roaming at night. (laughs) 
and getting into trouble with the neighbors. So I had to chain him up to his doghouse so I'd feed him and then chain him up to the doghouse. And then I came back into the house. And it was at that point that I was hanging up my coat in dad's room. At this point, it was about 6.15. And that's when this quiet winter evening became a living nightmare. Again, here's Grandma Marie describing what happened that night, read by Rebecca. Suddenly there was a powerful, eerie, loud noise all over. Sigrid looked into the oven at her casserole and said, Mom, what is that awful noise? And before I could answer, there was an earth-shaking boom. The windows in the house blew in, the, the telephone came flying across the kitchen, wood beams, plaster, chaos just filled the whole house. Thick dust was everywhere, and a huge red ball of fire came through the broken, painless window, rolling slowly between Sigrid and me. Luckily, my hair was in curlers, so it didn't burn badly, but my hand was scorched. As suddenly as it had come into the room, the fireball disintegrated. Looking into the yard, we saw patches of grass on fire in many places. The treetops were on fire, the garage wall was gone, the roof was burning. Herman's car parked in front of the garage was in shambles. Every one of us was alert and alarmed. My Aunt Ingeborg remembers the apocalyptic sound. As I was hanging up my coat, this just incredibly loud sound started happening. And we were, we were fairly used to having sonic booms happen over the farm. I just kept thinking, it'll stop, it'll stop, it'll stop. But it didn't. It just kept getting louder and louder and louder until, you know, just everything shook. It was the end of the church year. And so the end of the church year, there's preaching about Judgment Day and the last day and, you know, what it'll be like. And I remember listening to that boom get louder and louder and louder. And I thought, hmm, wow, you know. God's got my attention, thinking this was it. You know, we were, we were on our way to heaven. When it hit, I heard this jet go over, and it sounded like it was just flying low, and then all of a sudden, boom, and there's fire in the yard, and the ceiling, the plaster on the ceiling comes down. My Uncle Mike, who was 20 years old at the time, had finished chores for the evening. And I was getting dad ready, and I looked out the door, and holy cow. And just that quick, Herman was in the doorway, and he said, this is the last, this is judgment day, Mike. I had just stirred the casserole, getting it ready to come out of the oven, and heard this piercing, horrible sound. And I turned toward mom, who was just coming out of the bathroom, and then the next thing I know, I'm flying across the table. There is a ball of fire coming. The wall had come down, and I'm at mom's feet. She grabs my arms and says, we have to get out. And I turn around to look where I was standing, and it was all open space. The wall was gone, window was gone. I don't remember seeing the oven at all. My mom, Sigrid, was the one closest to the explosion. 
The initial blast destroyed the northeast corner of the house where the kitchen was. And I thought that I had blown up the oven with the casserole. And we just started running. And the minute I turned around, then the upstairs came down. The bedroom set landed. It was on fire. And we went west then toward the dining room. It wasn't a clear path. We had to climb over things. And there were things burning. And we saw Mike lifting Dad and racing toward the south door, which Herman evidently had opened. And Ingeborg was following Mike and Dad. Everything was, it was so hazy, and I don't know if it was dust, debris, smoke. It was just very, very hazy, very, very hot, I remember. Yeah, it was just surreal. The shelf that was above where I hung up my coat came down. The rod that where I usually hang, hung up my coat came down on my head, knocked me into the, it wasn't really a closet, but, you know, into that area. Thankfully, it, you know, it, I wasn't hurt or anything, just knocked down. And at that time, I realized, you know, uh, got to get out of here. And I think it was Herman, Uncle Herman, who started directing us, you know, to get us out of the house. And I just remember coming out of Dad's room and seeing absolutely everything shattered and on the floor, the the pictures off the walls, and the I think there was a, a wash basin, you know, an antique pitcher and bowl set, I guess is what I mean. And that had been, you know, just smashed into bits. And we made our way out the south door of the farm. There were a lot of doors. The south porch entrance of the house faced the main road that went in front of the house, but it was seldom used. This is going to hurt if we stay in here. So I just picked up Dad and, we, and Herman unlocked the south door, which was always on. We got out in the porch. See, I had to jump over some stuff because that was our bedroom right above there. I had to jump over a couple of chairs with Dad and that kind of stuff. And I was kind of disoriented, I remember that. And I saw Herman, and I'm just going that way, you know. And Dad, I don't know if he uttered a word or said anything. He was just, he was shock, you know. Martin ended up, you know, with a twisted gut because he was down in the barn and those double doors on the barn to the calf pen blew in on him and uh, knocked him down. My Uncle Martin was 18. He had just finished his chores and was headed back to the house for dinner. He had forgotten either to turn off the radio, I'm thinking it was the radio, and he had to go back. And that is what saved him, because he would have been out in the middle of the yard. So he went back, turned it off, and when he got to the doors, then the blast hit, and he was blown back into the barn. And he got up, scrambled to the door, and then saw the whole house ablaze, and he took off running. Once again, here's Rebecca reading from Grandma Marie's account. Martin quickly picked himself up and saw the devastation all over and ran into the house. He could not get in the usual backroom door because it was all in flames, so he came in through the broken dining room window. He saw us racing out the music door. Grabbing his father's wheelchair, he joined us outside. I think I got out of there pretty quickly, one of the first. And then I just went immediately to the mailbox thinking nobody had seen this, not realizing that the ground 
shook for miles and miles and windows smashed for from the neighbors and you know when we realized that it was just huge and I didn't really need to be flagging people down and then people started arriving at the farm I remember flame in the yard and then a chunk of frozen ground rolling up by the house you know that kind of stuff and wondering okay what hit you know I thought the furnace had exploded. We had a great big, huge fuel tank in the basement. And when we went down there in the wintertime to play school, we used it as a chalkboard. (laughs) Remember that, Sigrid? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think we were ever told not to, but, you know, we knew what it was. And so full of fuel, I just figured it had exploded. Something had happened and had, you know, sent the world into smithereens around us. But it was really interesting going outside after the crash. My first impressions were there were patches of grass on fire and places in the trees where, you know, the the leaves were gone off the trees, but still there there were just spots on fire everywhere. And again, thought that that was the fuel that had come out of that furnace tank in the basement. And uh, caught everything on fire. And then mom decided she needed to go back in. Because at that point, there were small fires, but it wasn't the blaze in the south music room. And so she made it back to right inside the door in dad's room was the file cabinet and the coats. So she grabbed some coats and the file cabinet and then came out. My grandpa Pete was wheelchair-bound due to very advanced and painfully debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. He wasn't able to use the stairs to get to the bedrooms, so his room was on the main floor. Again, here are my grandma Marie's words. I realized at once that we needed coats, so I ran back inside, grabbed coats for the two girls and my husband, got a strong whiff of smoke, and I knew I had to get out fast. I also grabbed our one-room farm file and left the house. When I fed Buster and tied him up for the night, I was wearing my cool pea coat. It was a navy coat with buttons and a zipper, you know, double-breasted buttons, but it also had a zipper and it had a hood. And I think that it was one that I had picked out for the first time in my life. I don't know how that happened, but usually it was always hand-me-downs. Anyway, I had this really neat coat. And that's what I was hanging up when the crash happened. Mom went back into the house and grabbed some coats and the file cabinet, which the file cabinet was in Dad's room next to where we hung up our coats. And she grabbed coats for Sigrid and me and then the file cabinet. And wouldn't you know it, she grabbed the wrong coat. She grabbed the one that I just hated. It was blue plaid. It was a Sunday coat. Sigurd had worn it for years. I'm sure our cousins in Minnesota had worn it for years. And there I was, you know, man, of all things, why that one? And then mom wanted to go back in, but Martin and Herman wouldn't let her. I don't know how she could have gone again, because by then, The flames were, we had to get off the porch. Mom wanted to go in and get the coffee table that Martin had made to surprise her with. It was really, really incredible. It had all kinds of different woods that were glued together for the top. 
it was like a, a stripe, only not an obnoxious one. And lots of black walnut, lots of oak, lots of different colors. And so she wanted to get that. And no, Marie, it's too dangerous. She muttered, I remember for years, I could have gone back in and saved that coffee table. I know I could have. It wouldn't let me go in. Which, you know, have you ever tried to stop Marie? I tried. I don't know how they did it, but maybe two of them against one. And then I'm standing out on the porch holding Dad, and Mom is hollering at me to go in and get some stuff by that old clock. And there is something there that she needed. And so I ran in, and I got to the dining room and decided, I'm not going in there. By that time, the fire was, it was hot, you know, so I very... I um, was standing there it, just completely in shock, I think. And I was shivering, and I was cold. And I remember Mike saying, I've got to put Dad down, you know, because he was, what, 150, 60 pounds of just dead weight. And I've got to put him down. Mike asked, where should I put Dad? And Martin said, I- I'll get the car. And it was parked on the north side of the house. And when Martin came with the car... All the windows had been blown in, and Martin was sitting in a seat full of glass. I said, we can't put Dad in there. Mom was very emphatic. We have to get Pete to the hospital. She just kept saying that. And Martin had brought the car around, which, you know, the fact that it just even started was something else. The back end of the car was in flames. Why didn't it blow up so close to the gas tank? Because God was watching out for us. He was with us every step of the way. And then by that time, I think it was Mary Ellen Moore, one of our neighbors. And I don't know how she got there, but she was there. And she got Mom and Dad and Sigrid and me into the car and on our way to the hospital. A neighbor, Mary Ellen Moore, had just arrived in her car and said, Here, put Pete in my car. We did, and I and the girls went with them to the Story City Hospital Emergency. Incredibly, everyone in the family survived, including those who were in the house that was engulfed in flames and falling to pieces around them. But the big question at this point was, what caused this catastrophic explosion? Was everything destroyed? Next time on Falling Low. If you go to fallinglowpodcast.com, you'll be able to see pictures of the fire and we'll be posting additional information for each episode. You can also sign up for the newsletter to be notified when the next episode will be available.